Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. Chapter two, Mark chapter two. Um, you've got a great pastor. I, I love Brent. Um, my wife. This is not just preacher talk either. Um, my wife will tell you that yesterday on our way here, uh, we were talking about Brent, and I was telling my wife I have always, always respected Brent. Just a great guy. So you are very, very fortunate to have him as your pastor. Mark chapter two. I, I love this story for many reasons. But one of the many reasons that I love it is because it, it brings back a memory. When my kids were younger, um, we would try to do Bible studies where we could do something that they would remember. And um, we did some pretty unique things and how effective all those things were, I really don't know. But this one really stands out because um, I had been traveling and I came home and we didn't have a ladder and so I went to the neighbor's house, and I borrowed a ladder. And our kids were pretty young, so maybe this is not a good recommendation, but nonetheless, we did it. We borrowed a ladder, and my wife and I and our kids, you remember this, Missy? Yep. Climbed up on the ladder, on the roof, and had the Bible study that we're going to read about this morning. And uh, my kids still remember it to this day, so I, I guess it did it, it accomplished its purpose. But Mark chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read 12 verses. This is what God's Word says. And again, he entered at Capernaum, and after some days, it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the Word to them. And then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralyzed man was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Sons, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes, that's the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they were sitting there and they were reasoning in their hearts. And this is what they were thinking. Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? We could, so we won't, but we could stop right here and, and just probably do a whole sermon that while these people were sitting there listening to Jesus, he was reading their minds. He knew everything about them, and he knows everything about you this morning. The things that living in a small town that you try to keep other people from knowing, but a lot of times they end up finding out anyway. He knows all of it anyway. And um, so we'll keep reading, and it says, um, I guess verse 8, um, it, immediately Jesus, when he perceived in his spirit that they reasoned this within themselves, he said, why do you reason about these things in your heart? What is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man 
has power on earth to forgive sins, he then turned to the paralyzed man and said, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all so that all the people were amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Father God, as Brent already prayed this morning, Lord, the truth of it is, is we recognize and know that it's not the power of a song or the power of a person, but it's the power of your word accompanied by the power of your spirit. And Lord, even as we, we've already talked this morning of knowing that you know every detail about us and what's going on in our lives, you know about the, the hidden pain and the hidden suffering that other people don't know about. And Lord, no doubt this morning in this room, there are We all need to experience you. And so, God, we invite your spirit, pray that you would uh, send your spirit along with your word, and you would just set off a a spiritual bomb in this place to change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. A few months ago, I was preaching in Louisville, Kentucky, Uh, Little Flock Baptist Church, church I've been to many times, and um, they run several morning services, a rather large church, and when I finish preaching the morning service, oftentimes uh, we'll have a book table, and, and uh, I was at the book table, and this man came up to me. And there was a lot of people in line, and we probably had about, oh, I don't know, 40 minutes or so between that service and the next. And this man came up to me and said, may I speak with you? And I said, yes, sir. Well, what's going on? He said, um, I was wondering how long that uh, you had. Do you have about 15, 20 minutes between now and the next service? And I said, well... Uh, sure, you know, what do you need? And he said, well, uh, I want you to walk out with me to my car, and I want to take you on a short ride. That's what I said. I don't normally, in a foreign city, I don't need in my own city get in a car with somebody that I don't know. And he, he seemed like a, a normal guy, but you meet some unique folks on the road. And so um, I was a little hesitant. His wife about this time walked up and was standing next to him. I don't know, she's probably about five foot tall and they seem like normal folks, and somebody who was an elder or deacon in the church came up and, and said, Jay, it would be okay. It'd be okay. Everything's fine. And I said, okay, sure. Well, anyway, I got in the car, and it was very awkward. Of course, again, I did not know them. They didn't know me. Just a, an, almost an eerie drive, and it was a short drive. I don't know. It probably took us five minutes to get there, but he took me to a cemetery. So if it wasn't strange already, it was really getting strange. And we drove in the cemetery. Not a word was spoken by him. Not a word was spoken by his wife. I'm sitting in the front seat. And these are people who are very connected in the church. I later find out they're very involved in the church. I mean, if you looked at them outwardly based on the car that we were riding in, it was a very nice car, the clothes that they wore. Everything outwardly seemed like these were people who were well-to-do, maybe very prominent, very successful. And we pulled up in the cemetery, and about that time, his wife began to cry. And we got out, and I began to follow them, and we ended up walking up to three tombstones where three of their boys had been buried. I didn't know what to say. Three of their only three sons all had MS, and all three had died. And it was such a wake-up call. I mean, here are these people, they're successful, they're, they're plugged into church. If you, if you didn't know any better and you were judging a book by its cover, 
you would never know the degree of hidden pain that was going on in their life. And yet, obviously, the struggle was very real. Well, this morning, that's a great lead-in, I think, to what we read this morning on, on, in this account of a, this paralyzed man. It's the early part of Jesus' ministry. We know that of the four Gospels, that there are 37 miracles recorded that Jesus Christ did. Obviously, he did more than that, but that's all that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the early part. This is the eighth miracle that Jesus has done. Now, in order to set the table, there's a few things you've got to understand. Things, the houses in that day and time were not like the houses in this day and time, where you would go into your house and there would be a bathroom and there would be a bedroom and there would be a kitchen and there would be a den. It wasn't the, that way in this day and time. Most houses would be similar like a stucco. They would be like a, a mud and a, a straw mixed together. Some people would have limestone, and, and they would stack those limestones one on top of the other, and they would fill the cracks with, with mud. And when you walked into a home, rather than having a bunch of rooms, mostly it would have been one large room, and then it would have had a roof. The roof would oftentimes be used to dry out clothes. Most folks would have a, a ladder that would enable them to get up on the roof. Sometimes it was a place where people would go to pray or to, to get alone or unwind. And so we pick up the story where Jesus is in this early part of his ministry, and he's teaching in someone's home. In that day and time, it also would not be uncommon for a person who was a prophet or a teacher, when they would be teaching, people would literally just go to this home. They would walk in this open-air room, and they would listen to a preacher preach. There would be people that would be standing outside of the windows, and, and they would be listening. And we find out that this, in this scenario, that there's this crowd of people all trying to press in to hear this miracle worker by the name of Jesus. Now, the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is, is this man was paralyzed. We don't know all the details. We don't know if it's something that happened when he was a child. We don't know if he was born that way. But what we could ascertain that just from the fact that he's a grown man, that by the fact that he's paralyzed, there's some very real struggles in his life. Maybe he was married. Maybe he was never able to get married. He's not able to do the things that most men are able to do. He's not able to have a, a normal job, to go in the marketplace, to sit at the city gates, and to talk with the other leaders of the city. There's obviously a lot of limitations in his life. He's paralyzed. It's been unique in my years of ministry. I've been at this for over 20 years, and, and, and the numbers of people that I've found that sit in churches, and, and I, I stand and speak to them, and you look out across the crowd, and, and similar to the story in Louisville, there is so much pain. People are paralyzed, not necessarily in a wheelchair, but paralyzed, sometimes paralyzed by guilt. Sometimes paralyzed by sin. We know Hebrews 11.25, when it refers to Moses, talks about the pleasures of sin that there is for a season. People paralyzed with fear. People paralyzed with addiction. People paralyzed with mental health issues that we now see not only in the United States, but worldwide. So this man was paralyzed, but in his case, it was, a, it was physical. There was a lot of limitations. There was a I would imagine there would have been some self-image issues. I would imagine there would have been some fear. There would have been some apprehension. We don't know all the details. We just know that he's paralyzed. 
And I want you to understand this morning that there are people all around you. I get it. We're in the panhandle. We're not in Amarillo. It's a smaller town. But I think that you would be surprised if you really knew all the things that were going on in people's lives all around you that you have no idea the depth and the amount of pain that they're going through. Just last night when we were having dinner um, with your pastor and his wife, we were talking about some of the struggles that we've been through and they've been through. And I would imagine this morning, even in this room, there are things going on in this room with people in their lives that nobody knows about. And I think that that's one of the things I loved about Jesus. Jesus had such compassion. The Bible says in Matthew 9.36 that when he looked out on the multitudes, that he was moved with compassion on them. I think sometimes we're so busy thinking about our own struggles and our own issues that we fail to realize that there are people all around us who are hurting. And I think sometimes we fail to realize that one of the best ways to deal with our own hurt is to help other people in their hurt because sometimes that helps us forget about our own. This man was paralyzed. The next thing that we see about him is not only was he paralyzed, but he was unable to get to Jesus on his own. Oftentimes you hear preachers or you'll hear people quote Romans 10, 13, and most of you know it. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great news this morning. And that's the gospel that I've been preaching now for 20 plus years after I came to Christ at 21 years of age. I've stood in front of NFL football teams. I've stood in front of death row. I've stood in front of the Mexican mafia. I've stood in front of white supremacists. I've, I've been among the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. And that's the gospel that I've always preached. That no matter what you've done wrong, no matter what mistakes that you've made, it doesn't matter that where you've been, all that matters is, according to the Scripture, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We don't have to make it difficult. It's just that simple, that if you're willing to put your faith in Christ, that if you're willing by His power to repent of your sins and to call on His name, that He will save you and change your life. He won't just give you a ticket to heaven, but He will give you a new beginning. At 21 years of age, when I stumbled in that church after a suicide attempt, and I got on my hands and knees, and there was nothing fancy about it. There was nothing, it was no eloquent prayer. I just got on my knees and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Will you come in my life? And I've never been the same since. But ironically, while we quote, quote Romans 10, 13, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, you rarely hear anybody quote the verses that come after that. And verse 14 says, but how can they call upon him in whom they've not believed? How can they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear, verse 17, without a witness? So while it's true that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, it's also true that people can't call on the name of the Lord if they've not heard of him. We have a responsibility and an obligation. One of the things that I've been praying throughout this week, knowing that I was going to be speaking here, was that somehow God would use this morning as a tool to put the spirit of an evangelist on those of you that are here. That there would be a new compassion, that there would be a new awareness. You know, the Bible says that, 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 that the Lord looks not as we look for Samuel 16, 7, because when we look at people, we look at what car they drive and what clothes they wear. But the Bible says that Jesus doesn't look at people the way that we do, that while we look on the outward appearance, he looks on the heart. And then maybe somehow that, that through this message today, that we could have a new compassion for hurting people. 
that somehow this morning that through this message and through God's Word that we could move out of our bubble and get into a ministry where we're doing what we can to not only share the gospel, but meet people where their needs are at. I'm amazed at the number of people over the years that have known Christ for decades and yet have never once shared their faith with anybody. It's stunning to me. What we see about this man is not only was he paralyzed, but he couldn't get to Christ on his own. This morning, if you know Jesus Christ, you know Christ because somebody shared the gospel with you. And there are people all around us that will never get to Christ unless we get them there. You say, well, but we have Brent. That's what we hired Brent to do. But you can't pay Brent to do what God's called you to do. And God has called every single one of us in this room to do the work of an evangelist. God's called every one of us to be a tool to build his kingdom. It doesn't matter if you're a farmer. It doesn't matter if you're a rancher. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. God wants to use you to build his kingdom. After I first got saved, uh, three nights later, I went to a student event, and I saw several hundred students give their lives to Christ. And I turned to my roommate, and I said, that's what I'll do with the rest of my life. I want to help other people that are like me. There are other people that are suicidal. There are other people like me that have an addiction. And I just want I didn't, I didn't know how, I, how God could ever use me, but I just knew that I wanted to help other people. Do we have the compassion that Christ has for those that are lost? You know, I've never gotten over it. I think about all the things that you could do that could be great, but what could you do that could ever be greater than being a catalyst to lead someone else to Christ? Jesus said in Mark 1.17, if you come after me, I'll make you a fisher of men. The Bible says in Daniel 11.30, he that wins souls is wise. The Bible says in James 5.20, let him know that he which turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Mark 16.15 says, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The Bible says in Acts 1.8 that you receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And by the way, did you ever notice that when you read the book of Acts, that every single time somebody is truly filled with the Holy Spirit, you can check this out after the service, in every single case in the book of Acts where someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, you will notice something always happens. You might say, oh, they get excited. They start reading the Bible. You will notice in every single case, they start sharing the gospel. The true identifier of when someone's filled with God's Spirit. I love that about Jesus. He always had a compassion for the broken. Jesus always went to the marginalized. He always went to the forgotten. And of course, Jesus said in Luke 5.32, He said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. Man, that's good news this morning. Because we may come to church and put up a good front that we've got all together, but the bottom line is that we're all sinners and we all need Christ. Amen? So the second thing that we see is, is that he was unable to get to Jesus on his own. Uh, my youngest son, uh, he's 18 years old, and um, he was working at a sporting goods store in our hometown of Wichita Falls. And about four weeks ago, one of the guys that he worked with I don't know, he's 19, 20 years old, was coming home late one night, 
wasn't doing anything wrong, wasn't doing anything illegal in our home city of Wichita Falls. He was on his way home on a weekend, and a drunk driver veered into this young man and killed him instantly. Had his whole life ahead of him. And my son, this is, this is really the first time somebody young that he knew just died unexpectedly. It had a huge impact on him. And my son said to me, sitting on the sofa, and really for several days he really didn't want to talk about it. He kind of opened up a little bit to me, and this is what he said to me. He said, Dad, everybody at work knew I was a believer. I didn't talk the way they talked. They knew I didn't live the way they lived. They knew I didn't do the things. They didn't invite me to do the things that they did after work. But Dad, it wasn't enough. I was a good example, but I really never told them about Jesus. Wow, what a statement. You know, obviously we have to set a good example. The Bible says that we're to be in Matthew chapter 5, that we're to be a city set on a hill. But being a good example alone is not enough. But the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. I'm telling you, there's nothing quite like leading somebody to Christ. Well, we see that, uh, that he was unable to get to Jesus on his own. And then the next thing we see is, is he's got some friends. There are these four guys. And they are the kind of guys, they're the kind of friends that everybody should have. We don't know a whole lot about them, but obviously they, they, they had a lot of compassion for this paralyzed man. Matter of fact, I wonder, are, are you, are you, do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that, my grandfather used to tell me when I was growing up, he said, Jay, if you have uh, two f- true friends your whole life, you're a lucky man. I thought, you're crazy. I'm on the basketball team, I'm fairly well known in school. I went to a 5A high school, which at that time was the biggest high school there was, and I got a lot of friends. And he said, no, there's, there's different he said, I'm talking about true friends, and I found what he said to be true. A lot of followers on social media, but true friends? Do you have a friend like that? And really more importantly than do you have a friend like that, are you that kind of friend to other people? Well, these four guys, they, they have a burden for him. They have a compassion for this man. And they come up with this game plan that, that they are going to get him to Jesus. Again, Jesus has done about seven miracles at this point. Word has traveled all around the Galilean hillsides about this miracle worker. It would have been real easy to say, you know, it's not my problem. It would have been real easy to say, well, there's nothing that we can do. But not these four friends. They are committed to doing anything they can. They realize that if this man is to have any hope whatsoever, the only hope that he would have would be to get this man to Christ. And so they load this man. Obviously, he's paralyzed. So they put him on a sort of a blanket and they make the journey and take him to this house where Jesus is teaching. Well, they get there and the crowd they can't even get near the door. People are outside listening through the windows. And again, it would have been a very easy time to say, well, you know, we tried, we did our best, but not these guys. These guys are risk takers. These guys 
they will stop at nothing to get this man near Christ. And so one of them comes up with this idea, well, why don't we just, there's a ladder on the side and then we could go up to the roof and then we could tear a hole in the roof. Who does this? I mean, who does this? Who goes to this kind of links to reach somebody that needs Christ? I mean, it would have been very pragmatic to say, well, we don't own this house and Man, we could get in trouble, and we can't go tear off somebody else's roof. We don't have the money to fix it or to pay for it. Nothing can stop these guys. No matter what it takes, they're going to get this man to Jesus. Can you imagine the scene? Here Jesus is, and, and he's in this room, and, and I mean, people are clamoring. They, they've heard about the miracles, and obviously these four guys have. They've heard about these things that Jesus has done. He's turned water into wine. He healed Peter's mother-in-law, and, and, and they're so determined to get this man. Can you see them now? There's four guys, and each of them are holding a corner of this blanket, and, and then they get there in the crowd. Everybody's listening to Christ. They can't even get near, and they're having a discussion, and they go, you know what? Let's, let's climb the ladder. And here they are, four guys. Can you imagine trying to climb a ladder and there's four of you and you're trying to hold this crippled man and push him up? Sweat's coming down from your brow. They get up to the roof. Imagine in your mind's eye this scene. The Son of God, in all of His power, in all of His perfection, Jesus Christ is teaching. And it would obviously be very rude to be interrupting anybody teaching, let alone the Son of God. And so Jesus is in the middle of his sermon, and he's talking to the people. And then all the folks are there, and, and I would imagine some of them are sitting down, and they're looking up at Christ, and all of a sudden, people start hearing what sounds like root, maybe rats in the attic or something. People began to, to look up, and I'm sure people are thinking, what is going on? Who is on the roof? Don't they know the teacher's teaching? I mean, who's interrupting the Son of God? And the next thing they know, they, they, they start hearing some banging on the roof. And before you know it, you could, you could see maybe, I don't know, maybe Jesus quits talking and the people are looking up trying to pay attention to Christ, but yet can't avoid that they're hearing this sound coming from the roof. The next thing they know, little pieces of particle are falling down from the roof. Sunlight began. You can just see it. The sun's coming through the hole. and You can see the particles of dust in the air. Everybody's looking up. The next thing you know, you start seeing hands come through the hole. And they're tearing holes off of the roof. And they begin to lower the paralyzed man down in front of Christ. Man, I wish I could have seen that. It must have been so amazing. They lower him down in front of Christ. And I love what Jesus does. I'm sure there were, you know, I've been around church long enough to know, I'm sure there's some people that, and we know that there was in, in the aspect of the religious leaders that were very critical. What, what are they doing? You know, there's always those people that no matter what happens, they've always find some way to complain about something. Well, that was the case with, of all people that you wouldn't think. It was the spiritual leaders. They began to lower this man down in front of the Son of God. The crowd kind of backs up. And there he lays. This marginalized, he's just a cripple. Probably somewhat of an outcast in his city. 
They lower him down before the Son of God. There's a hush that falls across the room. And then Jesus makes this statement. It says, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith. Obviously, you can't be saved based on someone else's faith. Your mama's faith can't save you. But Jesus saw their faith, meaning the faith of all of them, not only the faith of the four people who believed that Jesus could heal him, but the faith of the paralyzed man. You know the verse, Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are you saved through faith. You can't be good enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't sing in the choir long enough. You can't teach Sunday school long enough. There's only one way. It's repentance by faith in the Son of the living God. We know what faith is. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11.1 1, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And further on in that same chapter in verse 6, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can preach a thousand servants. You can give away millions of dollars. You can be the most kind, generous person in the panhandle, but it's not enough. It's only faith that pleases God. That's an amazing concept when you think about it. The Bible says in Matthew 9.29 that according to your faith, it will be done unto you. When somebody puts their faith in Christ, literally it stops the Son of God. And they had faith. Listen to what Jesus says here. The first thing he says, when Jesus saw their faith, verse 5, he said to the paralyzed men, Son. This man is now being called by Jesus Christ, you're my son. Man, imagine the good news this is to this paralyzed man. While everybody else has forgotten about me, while I've been marginalized by society, who knows, maybe his own, who knows, maybe his own dad abandoned him, like probably has happened to some of you in this room. But the Son of the Living God says, You have now become my son. You know, that's what happens the moment that you put your faith in Christ. You remember the woman caught in adultery? He calls her daughter. He calls this man son. No, it's not just a ticket to heaven. But at that moment when you put your faith in Christ, heaven begins right then, right there. Imagine the news to this man. I now am a son of Jesus Christ. Man, y'all must not be listening because that's amazing. That is amazing. When I look back on that April 5th night, I would have never dreamed in a million years when I woke up that morning that my life was going to change. I had no plans whatsoever. I had heard about this guy that was coming to town and this evangelistic outreach. I wasn't even going. I had been invited and there was no way it was going to happen. I had no idea that that same night, that April 5th night, that I was going to stumble in an auditorium, that I was going to hear a presentation of the gospel that I had heard many times before but had never soaked in my mind, never soaked in my heart, that even though intellectually I believed in Jesus, that even though I had been baptized on three different occasions, that I didn't have a real relationship with Christ, I had no idea that night that I was going to be arrested for the murder of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God was going to open up my eyes and my heart and my mind to help me see that although I was religious and could sing Amazing Grace, that I was lost. I had no idea 
That night at 21 years of age, when I stumbled in the auditorium not to hear the gospel, I stumbled in only to hear how to escape my suicidal thoughts because he had attempted suicide, that when I got on my knees and said, Jesus, I am a sinner. I want you in my life. And God knows I had never said anything more serious that I'd wanted more than I wanted Christ. And that at that very moment, April 5th, that I became a son of God. I think some of us have gotten over that. Oh, yeah, I've been saved now for 23, 40, 33, 40 years. I think some of us have gotten over that. That Jesus Christ came in our life and that we have gotten saved. I don't ever want to get over it. Now, of course, I go through seasons like you do and lulls and times when I'm doing good spiritually and times when I'm not. But I think sometimes, you know, we, oh, we've heard the gospel and, yeah, we've known the Lord for years Hey, listen, if you've known the Lord for years, you ought to be more on fire for God than anybody. But the truth of it is, some of us that have known the Lord the longest are sometimes the driest spiritually. Imagine that news. Son, you're my son. And then he says this. He says, son, which is really his affirmation that you now belong to me. And he says this. He says, your sins are forgiven you. Now, some people wonder, why did Jesus Christ heal him spiritually before he healed him physically? I'll tell you the answer for that. I believe in physical healing. I believe God can heal anybody. I know God doesn't always heal everybody. I have a daughter that has a, a, uh, a disease that's incurable. I know God can heal her. I hope that God heals her. He has not healed her yet. I don't know if he will or if he won't, but I'm going to serve him no matter what. I'm going to stay the course no matter what. But as great as physical healing is, it cannot compare with spiritual healing. There's nothing more important than spiritual healing. And Jesus knew that he needed to be healed spiritually before he was healed physically. And so Jesus first says to him, your sins have been forgiven you. And then he says this, arise, take up your bed and walk. He didn't just say, I'm going to heal you spiritually. Jesus healed him spiritually and physically at the exact same time. And then this is when, you know, that crowd, I don't know, that crowd that is, it seems to always be somewhere in every city. Again, we talked about it a while ago. They're always complaining. They're never satisfied. I was telling Brent last night, I said, the greatest people I've ever known in my life have been in church. And the meanest people I've ever known in all my life have been in church. Can I get an amen? I was telling Brent just last night that before I got saved, I used to hang out at a place called the Rock Inn. And Brent knows the bar that I'm talking about. It's no cool college bar. It's a seedy, rough, and the truth of it is most of the people that hung out there were about 20 years older than me, and it's really more for alcoholics than it is a cool bar to meet pretty girls. There weren't any pretty girls there. And I would walk in, and people would say, Hey, Jay, how you doing, man? Good to see you. It didn't matter what I did wrong. It didn't matter how jacked up my life was. It wouldn't have mattered if I would have robbed a bank earlier that day when I walk in. Hey, Jay, how's it going? 
And then I got saved, and I thought, man, that's going to be great getting around all those Christian people, man. They're just going to love on you and encourage you and pray for you, and they're going to be glad to see you. And as much as I hate to admit it, you know, those people down at the Rock Inn, in many ways, were sweeter to me and more encouraging to me than people were at church. You know what's true? It's either amen or oh me. Yeah, Jesus heals him physically and he heals him spiritually. And then that, that crowd that's always complaining, you know, then they start reasoning in his heart and they, they, they're like, well, if, if, if he were the Son of God, then he wouldn't have made a statement that your sins are forgiven. I mean, who can forgive sins, they say, but God alone. And they certainly didn't see Jesus as God. And then Jesus poses a question. It's a very interesting question. You'll find it in verse, um, verse 9. Jesus asks them a question. You'll notice that about Jesus. Oftentimes when he gets asked a question, he answers a question by asking another question. Some of us are still questioning Jesus. We haven't realized we don't have any business questioning him because as Brent said last night, if we, knew the, if, if, if we could understand him, we wouldn't need him. Verse 9, Jesus has this question, what is easier to say to the paralyzed man? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven you, or is it easier to say, take up your bed and walk? Think about that. What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or take up your bed and walk? Well, most people, if you're thinking rationally, you would probably say, it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Because anybody could say that. It, requ- it, it requires no proof. You can't prove if somebody said your sins are forgiven. You can't prove whether or not what they said is true or whether it's not. However, if they said, rise, take up your bed and walk, it's pretty obvious whether or not what they're saying is true because either somebody that's paralyzed is going to get up and walk or they're not. But if you really think about the question that he asked, which is easier, take up your bed and walk or your sins are forgiven, the answer is your sins are forgiven. For Jesus to say, rise and take up your bed and walk only cost Him a word from His mouth. For Him to say your sins are forgiven cost Him His own blood. Wow. They were willing to take a risk. Are you willing to take a risk? You know, the older I get, the more I realize that, man, time is passing so quick. Every one of us have a date that the Lord has set where we're going to stand before Him and give an account of our life. When I met Jesus, I made the decision that one day when my life comes to an end, number one, I want to live a, leave a legacy. It's not what I get from my ancestors. It's what I leave to my descendants. And to me, the greatest legacy is my life counting towards helping other people come to know Christ. I want to get to heaven and meet other people who were there because the Lord used my life. I want to do something that's going to outlive me. And remember, the Scripture says, let me reiterate this. 2 Corinthians 5.18, the Bible says, and God reconciled us to us through Christ. Listen to this. And He gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. No one is exempt from that obligation to be a kingdom builder. Nobody. 
Nobody. If you know Jesus Christ, God has called you to be a witness for Christ. Jesus said, as my Father sent me, even so I'm sending you, John 20, 21. So this is not just a call of Brent and Jay. This is a call of everybody. But we got to be willing to take a risk. One of my favorite verses is 1 Chronicles 28, 20. It says, be strong and have good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord your God, even my God will be with you. I think sometimes we get hung up. You know, we're, we're so afraid of sharing the gospel. And yet, oftentimes, we are the same people who are quoting 2 Timothy 1.7 that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. I think the enemy wants to make this into something big that it's not. I found that when I talk with people about the Lord, I don't get in discussions about religion. I don't get in discussions about denomination. I don't try to tear down their God. I just want to lift up my own. You don't have to know the Bible backwards and forwards. You don't have to have gone through some kind of a class. Hey, let me ask you this. Do you have a testimony? Because you see all throughout Scripture, even if you look at Paul, the greatest Christian that ever lived, you look at his ministry, you know what he's doing over and over again? He's sharing his testimony. You probably know John 3.16. That's the good news. That 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was executed on dead man's hill. That He hung between heaven and earth like a scarecrow. And it doesn't matter whether you're Mexican mafia, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're black, whether you're white, that if you will bow your knees and put your faith in Jesus Christ, that He will forgive you and give you an eternal life and a new life beginning today. We get so hung up. Sometimes we're afraid of what are people going to say and what are they going to think? Are we going to offend somebody? And I get that. Hardest person I ever shared the gospel with was my grandfather because he wasn't somebody that you really talked to the Lord about. But I think the enemy tries to get us so afraid and Gives us, all, gives us all these excuses. Well, I'm not a good communicator, and we hear things like I'm an introvert, and my personality is not outgoing, but it has nothing to do with your personality or your articulation. It has to do with are you filled with God's Spirit? If you would get filled with God's Spirit, God would make you a witness. We talked about that earlier. It's right there in the book of Acts. I quoted Acts 1.8. Remember, you receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you debate the end times. No. That after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall become witnesses unto me. The question is, are we willing? The Bible says in Ezekiel 33.8, the Bible says this, the Bible says, when I say to the wicked man, you will surely die for your sin. And you don't warn the wicked man from the error of his way. That wicked man will die in his sin, but his blood will I require at your hand. Now, in case you got lost somewhere in the exact translation, King James Version of Ezekiel 33.8, this is in essence what the Scripture says. When there's a person that doesn't know Christ, and they don't know the Lord, and they die without Christ, Yes, it's true they'll die on their sin, but I will hold you accountable for not saying anything.
There are people in this room in your sphere of influence that if you don't reach them for Christ, nobody ever will. Brent will never meet them. He does not know them. He does not work with them. He does not go to school with them. And God has put you where you are in the very city that you're in, in the very home that you're in, with the very family that you've got, in the very school that you're at, because He wants to use you to build His kingdom. Folks, you've got to understand, this life of following Christ, yeah, we need to go to church. And going to church is important. But going to church... Being a faithful follower of Christ is not just coming on Sunday morning and sitting in a pew. Amen? Amen? It's getting involved in the game. And for some of us, for too long, we've been on the sidelines, and God wants to get us in the game. And the enemy's told us that God can't use us, and we're not this, and we're not that, and it's all a lie. When you look in Scripture, God used the most broken. You say, well, I'm broken, Jake. Great. God uses some of the most broken people to do the greatest things. It's all through Scripture. Well, Jay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not educated, man. I, I, I didn't go to college. I didn't even finish high school. Great. Neither did most of the disciples. Blue-collar fishermen. You might say, well, Jay, I got a shady past. Great, you're qualified. Matthew was one of the biggest cheats in all of Rome. But are we willing? You know, some of us, we have family. We have moms and dads and brothers and sisters that if we don't reach them, they will one day die without Christ. I'll close with this. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've been invited. I was really excited. I was going to, uh, I was on this evangelism conference. I was going to get to preach. Matter of fact, uh, Billy Graham's daughter, Ann Graham, was speaking that weekend. And it was a really cool opportunity for us. And one, uh, the night after I spoke, the next morning, I went back to the conference to hear some of these other preachers. And, some of the guys were going out to, uh, I, I think it was Longhorn, but it was a really nice steakhouse there in Albuquerque. And so we, we went to the steakhouse, and it's, it's 12 noon. I mean, it's busy. And there's businessmen. I mean, it's, it's, it's the type of environment that I hate because it's just a roar of people. It's so loud. And I don't do this as much as I used to. I still do it some, but... Not as much as I used to, but it used to be every time I went to a restaurant, what I would do, my way of sharing the gospel, was I would just say, hey, listen, before I eat my meal, I always pray over my meal. Is there anything I can pray for you? Super simple. And sometimes I'd have people say, nope, I don't need you to pray for me about anything. Okay, no big deal. I wasn't offended. I didn't care, whatever. You'd be surprised how many times I said to a waiter or waitress, Hey, listen, I'm about to eat my meals or anything I can pray for. You would be shocked at how many times over the years that simple statement has literally led to an immediate waterfall of tears. Immediate. 
So here I'm in Albuquerque, and uh, I don't remember. She's probably 25, 26, 27 years old. I said, hey, ma'am, anything I can pray for you? The second I said that, she put her hand over her mouth, and you could tell she was trying to hold it together. Tears start coming down. I'm not saying anything. Obviously, I have no idea what's going on in her life. Well, then she starts, I said, are you okay? She said, yeah, would would you pray? I'm in a, a really messed up relationship. I have a baby. The baby's father's been very abusive. We're separated. I had some things. I grew up in a home like that. My life's falling apart. I can't hardly pay my bills. Just pray for that. I said, I can do that. And I said, I just want you to know, not, I, I can quote my share of verses. I didn't do that. I said, I just want you to know this. At 21 years of age, I got on my knees because I realized I was a sinner and that Jesus died on the cross. One night I got on my knees because I knew I needed the Lord. I knew that He was the only way that my life could be put back together. And I asked Jesus Christ to come in my life and He lives inside of me and you can do the same thing. That's all I said. I don't know, That's what is that? Two, three minutes max? Max? Tears rolling down her face. I mean, it's packed wall to wall in the steakhouse. She said, can I hug you? I said, absolutely. She hugs me right there in the restaurant. And I said, let me tell you something. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord to be saved, you can literally go back to the ladies' room. You can go back in the kitchen. And literally, the Lord knows your heart. It's not the words that you speak. It's the sincerity of which you speak them. The Bible doesn't say you're saved by a sinner's prayer. The Bible says you're saved by calling the name of the Lord. I prayed a sinner's prayer when I was a young man in San Antonio, Texas, and I wasn't saved. I didn't understand what I was doing. But 21, when I prayed... I meant it with all my heart. And I said, you can go back in the ladies' room in the kitchen, and you can, it doesn't have to be fancy. You can just ask, Je- to ask Jesus to forgive you and come in your life. And she said, I so want to do that, but I so don't know how to pray. This is what she said to me. Would you pray with me and help me? I said, well, yeah, but I, I don't want to get you in trouble. I mean... You know, the restaurant's full, and I don't want to get you in trouble with your manager or anything. And she said, I don't care. I need Jesus. I said, yeah, I'll pray with you. I said, just, this is your way of inviting the Lord in your life. And if you truly believe He died on the cross and you want Him in your life, Jesus Christ is about to come in and change your life. I just prayed a real simple prayer, and she was following with me. When I raised my head from praying out loud with her, I did not, and I would never have asked her to do it. In the middle of Longhorn Steakhouse in Albuquerque, New Mexico, with people surrounded all around us, she had actually gotten on her knees while she prayed and invited Christ in her life. I'll never forget it. We stayed in touch for off and on for about a year. She got plugged into church, got baptized. Living for the Lord. You know, like I said, I prayed that... I mean, I know Brent preaches the Gospel every week, and I know the majority of you know Christ. 
I know it's also possible that there could be people in this room like me that maybe you made a decision when you were young or you walked an aisle or you were confirmed or sprinkled or baptized. And maybe it's possible that you've never shared your faith because your faith is not real. The same gospel that she heard is the same gospel for you. So just in a minute, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. And then right where you're seated, if you couldn't say, Jay, I know that I know that I know Jesus Christ lives in me. Not because you go to church, not because you grew up Catholic or non-denominational or Baptist, not because you've been sprinkled or confirmed or went through catechism. But you could say there was a definite time in my life when I repented of my sins, when I truly, it wasn't just some words that I repeated, but I truly received Christ by faith. And just in a minute, I'm going to pray and lead you in a prayer. And again, there's no magic words. It's the attitude of your heart of wanting Christ in your life. If you could say, Jay, I don't know for sure, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And then after I'm done praying that prayer, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And, and I know this is maybe a little bit different than the way things are normally done here, but what I want to do is this. If God has laid somebody, it may be somebody you go to school with or somebody you work with or somebody lives down the street or somebody you work with, whatever, somebody you know, maybe somebody in your family, I don't know. But if God has laid somebody particular on your heart that you know, we're not talking about world peace here, the city of Amarillo or the state of Texas, no. If God has laid somebody particular on your heart that doesn't know Christ, it may be your own mama and daddy. It may be your own brother and sister. After I lead people in a prayer that might say, I don't know for sure, the worship team is going to begin singing. And we're going to open up this altar. And I'm going to invite you to get out from where you're seated. And you come down to this altar. You can get on the front. I don't care. You can get on the platform. It doesn't matter. You come down here and you get on your knees and you begin to pray and ask God to use you to help them come know Christ. You can come up for 30 seconds or you can come up for three minutes or however long you feel led. Just come up and pray for them that God would use you. I was speaking two weeks ago in Huntsville, Texas. And when I got done speaking, a staff member, I invited people to come up and pray for lost people. A staff member walked out of the building and called a college classmate that he never shared the gospel with two weeks ago. Everybody, every head's bowed, every eye's closed with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Again, maybe you grew up like me in church. Maybe you, maybe your mama was a Sunday school teacher like mine and you still couldn't say, Jay, I know for sure Jesus Christ lives in me. You've already heard it. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 that if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. You may have been in church all your life. You may be a visitor today. It doesn't matter. But if you would say, Jay, I am not absolutely certain that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I'm going to invite you right where you're seated to just pray this prayer with me. You're not putting your faith in a prayer. You're putting your faith in Christ.
And you could ask something like this, Dear God, I come to you in Jesus' name. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the grave. And I believe that you're the Son of God. I want to repent of my sins. Give me the power to turn away from my unbelief. Jesus Christ, right here, right now, my faith is in You. At this very moment, Jesus Christ, I receive You in my life as my Lord and my God and my Savior. Change me. Make me a witness for You because I receive You in my life right here, right now. Every head still bowed and every eye still closed. And I'm not going to embarrass You in any way. I'm not going to have You but if, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just pray that prayer, it doesn't matter if you're a visitor today or if you've been going to this church for 150 years, if you just prayed that prayer with me, would you just lift your hand? I won't embarrass you in any way. Just lift it up high if you just prayed that prayer with me. Anybody else? I'm not, I won't embarrass you in any way, I promise. Anybody else? Several people. Anybody else? Say, Jay, I just prayed that prayer with you. You may have grown up in church. I've seen worship leaders, and I've seen pastors and pastors' wives. and Anybody else? I won't embarrass you in any way. Jay, I just prayed that prayer. You may have prayed it like I did when you were a young kid. Anybody else? You may put your hands down. Everybody lift your head and look right this way at me. Those of you that raised your hand, I'm going to encourage you today. Today. There's something about, something about making it public. I call it the privilege to go public. I believe if you can't stand for Christ in a Sunday morning church service, you will never stand for Christ in a lost and unbelieving world. And so before you leave this auditorium, I'm begging you to either go to the pastor or one of the people in the prayer team and just say, hey, I prayed that prayer with Jay. You don't have to give any explanations. Just say, I prayed that prayer with Jay. Again, you might be a leader in the church. You might be somebody like I did that grew up in church your whole life, but you had to get it nailed down today. I want to encourage you, before you leave this room, tell somebody. Now, as the worship team comes, right, real quickly, I want everybody to stand up as a worship team. Worship team, quickly come, quickly, quickly, quickly. And so today, again, how we're going to close out the service is, is I want to invite you as the worship team sings. If God has laid somebody particular on your heart, as they begin to sing, I want to encourage you. And maybe Brent can come up as you're praying and kind of can close us out and pray over you and pray over the people that you're praying for. But the Bible says in Isaiah 65, 24, that before we call, God will answer. And even while we're speaking, God will hear. So if the Lord's laid somebody on your heart, by name, I'm going to invite you just to come to begin to pray for their salvation and to begin to ask God to fill you with His Spirit and use you as And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.